it's part of the focus because I think any effective tissue regeneration has to include that kind of training or in-training. And that can vary from everything in skeletal muscle to from kind of physical activity to electrical stimulation. It really depends entirely on the tissue. And if one is looking at regeneration of the pancreas or regeneration of even possibly, for example, spinal cord or uh, regeneration of bone, the kinds of training that would occur would be very, very different. So it's very dependent on the tissue, but I think that's part of the regenerative process no matter what tissue one is looking at. So I know some of your interests are in bone and joint rehabilitation, but I gather from what you just told us that uh, you also are interested in soft tissue as well. Is that correct? Yeah, actually, that's most of our interest is in soft tissue. In fact, the center that I direct here in Palo Alto at the Veterans Hospital is focused on what we call, in a relatively cumbersome word, a neuromusculoskeletal system. So it really extends sort of from the brain, the spinal cord, the peripheral nerves, the muscles, the joint, and the bone. So it's kind of a continuum. And our own work, my own work from my lab, is focused primarily on muscle regeneration, a little bit on neural regeneration as well, but colleagues here work on aspects of bone and joint, including cartilage regeneration, and there's some work on tendons, so really the whole axis is being explored. Perhaps I can ask what's on the horizon in this regard. I think it's important to recognize that some of these studies are very fundamental and and long-term, but I know if you're focused on moving things from the bench to the bedside, so to speak, that I believe you have some short-term objectives as well. We do, and some of those objectives really are in this realm of regenerative biology. How do we now translate the kind of work we've done in the laboratory, and particularly with mice, to translation to humans? And we're still a ways away, but our near-term goals are to be able to use the kind of techniques we've used in mice and apply them to humans. So we're doing that now with human muscle stem cells, both trying to understand how to grow them in culture in a way that will maintain their potency as stem cells for transplantation, but also in this kind of bioengineering approach whereby we would take stem cells from either animal models or from humans and create in the laboratory three-dimensional matrices for the beginning of creation of muscle outside the body and then with the idea of transplanting that. So we really are already at this point of creating a material science laboratory in association with our stem cell biology laboratory in order to create these artificial matrices, ways we can create tissues and organs outside the body as a method of a regenerative biology. This would then be applied potentially, theoretically, to injuries actually in a person whereby we either can create these matrices in the person's tissues to enhance the regeneration or begin that regenerative process in vitro and then do a transplantation. So you asked about near-term. That, that's not something we're doing this year, but that's sort of in our five-year plan. So you speak of matrices. This is in some other lexicon scaffolds. Exactly. They go by different names, and it's really when cells are growing in a tissue culture dish, they're in what we call a two-dimensional matrix, right? They're just growing flat on a dish, and tissues are in three dimensions. So it is a challenge really across regenerative biology to create three-dimensional scaffolds so that tissues see what is really a more normal environment for them that is in three dimensions, so that they're not just growing as a sheet, but they're growing as a whole volumetric tissue. And so that's scaffolds or matrices or any kind of either biological or synthetic 
system that creates a three-dimensional structure in which cells can grow and, and divide and then differentiate. Very interesting. So here at the interface between both the science and the rehabilitation, what are the challenges or what are the opportunities to bring people together in terms of these multidisciplinary endeavors to move this science and clinical outcomes forward? Well, I would say the challenges are several fold. One of the major challenges is actually just doing interdisciplinary research. It is something that is generally high on people's list as a priority, but it tends to be less well-funded. It's more difficult to bring diverse groups together toward common problems, but when it happens, that's where I think the real breakthroughs can occur, both in biology or in this case in kind of translational medicine. So. There's a structural challenge of bringing diverse groups together, groups who work in very different fields, whether it's engineering and biology and medicine, but that's done and that's what we're aiming for at the center here in Palo Alto is exactly that, is kind of breaking down those barriers so that groups that otherwise would work independently are actually working together toward a common goal. I think in terms of opportunities, that really is the transition of medicine in this century will involve a lot more biologics, that is, cellular-based therapies that will really, I think, emerge from the long history of transplantation biology. So we really have spent many decades perfecting transplanting of organs from one person to another. This is an extension of that, really. It's taking cells, it's expanding them in a tissue culture system, and then transplanting them. But in theory, it's very similar. There are immunological problems, there are surgical problems, there are delivery problems, but it builds upon a foundation that I think is well-established. And so I think the opportunity is there really right now for capitalizing on the tremendous advances in stem cell biology and building upon that toward a more translational and medical application. So you certainly have built an infrastructure to accomplish some of these goals in terms of your operations there at Stanford. And at the McGowan Institute, we see some of these endeavors as well to build and form multidisciplinary teams, and at least from my perspective, the outcomes have been very positive so far. I, I think that's exactly right. In fact, I think the McGowan Institute is really a role model for the kind of center we're developing for doing exactly what we were just discussing, which is bringing together people from different disciplines toward solving problems that require an interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary approach, and the results have been nothing short of miraculous, I would say. So I think that really is a perfect model upon which to build the notion of having a center for interdisciplinary research, especially for translational problems. So this is perhaps a good segue into uh, one of the endeavors that you and some of your colleagues here in Pittsburgh are collaborating on, and that's the organization of the second annual symposium on regenerative rehabilitation, where, in fact, you're planning to share with the audience the fusion of these previously very separate disciplines. Right. So I think, you know, this is really the brainchild of Dr. Ambrosio, who has really spearheaded this initiative at Pittsburgh bringing together people who are in, obviously, the McGowan Institute, which she's part of, but also with a strong rehabilitation focus. And I think that it's a really perfect venue for thinking about regenerative biology within the context of rehabilitation, because relating back to a question you asked at the beginning, as one begins to regenerate tissue biologically, there's clearly a lot of functional interventions that may either promote or potentially impair the ultimate outcome and functionality of that regenerated tissue. So in this context of the symposium, it really has a strong rehabilitative medicine component 
that interfaces very well with regenerative biology. And last year's symposium I thought was very effective in terms of bringing those diverse groups together. I think it was a broadly based symposium with a very good target audience, and we'd like to see that audience increase even further, including people not only in rehabilitation medicine, but any other branch of medicine in which a regenerative biology approach could be applied, whether it's a degenerative disease or different kinds of injuries, and then interfacing that with rehabilitative medicine. So relative to this symposium, I made a few notes before we began this discussion in terms of what I thought might be the stakeholders. So let me just share them with you and see if, in fact, it synchronizes with your thoughts. Certainly in terms of program members and faculty members who are involved in rehabilitation programs would be one category. Scientists and clinicians who are working in the fields of regenerative medicine, rehabilitation, physical medicine, physical therapy, and occupational therapy would be another category. Young scientists and clinicians and trainees who have related interests as well as residents and nurses who have involvement in either side of this activity, i.e. the clinical therapies and also the regenerative therapies. And of course, you have a heavy involvement with the VA industry and military representatives who might have interest and opportunities to benefit from these types of dialogue. So does that synchronize with your vision of who the stakeholders are? That pretty much covers it. I think you slipped in the word industry there when you're talking about military personnel. Certainly the DOD, Department of Defense, and, and military personnel would be a very important component of this. It's a lot of our focus here at the VA. And then all of the academic and clinical specialists and trainees that you mentioned. And then industry is one that I guess I would also like to emphasize because clearly the success of a lot of these endeavors will depend ultimately on being able to do this broadly and commercially in the sense that we can each focus in terms of our own laboratory work in a very narrow way, trying to develop the technologies. However, in the end, it would have to be part of the more general biomedical industry as an approach to translating the kind of advances broadly so that such advances and such opportunities for regenerative biology are distributed throughout the country and then ultimately throughout the world. So it's a long-term investment for companies that are involved in development of either devices or biologics, and yet I'm hoping that this will be the kind of symposium that would draw the attention of partners in industry who would see this as a long-term investment and something they would be interested in ultimately commercializing and developing into therapeutics. Relative to the symposium, I know that the program is still in progress of being developed, but Uh, I think that once it's finalized, these various individuals and stakeholders will see the opportunities and the potential benefits for their participation. And speaking of the symposium, I should mention that it's scheduled for November 12th through 13th in in Pittsburgh, and we'll put on the podcast website a link to the symposium website so uh, potential listeners can uh, engage in more detailed review of what's being developed and planned. Our interest is in reaching as broad an audience as possible, so the more opportunities, the better. So, Dr. Rando, I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your vision in terms of your personal research and also these collaborative and multidisciplinary initiatives that you're contributing to. I'd like to remind our listeners we welcome suggestions for podcast guests 
And you can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. As we conclude this podcast, I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine that sponsors this podcast series. And we look forward to another interesting interview next time we meet. Thank you and best wishes. 